with being one month into the rains retreat already. So it shows that time passes by with great speed. Um, but we should be intent uh, to use that time well, to set our hearts on practicing, on cultivating our minds uh, in this rains retreat period. And some people have determined to keep the five precepts throughout the entire three months. Others have uh, made the firm uh, aspiration to chant every evening and morning and to sit in meditation every single day without skipping one day. Or others uh, have made the intention to offer alms food uh, every day throughout this range retreat period. And so monks also make determinations and one that many have made is to go without sleep on the lunar observance days. It's natural that the body gets very tired, but we go against that. We have our sincerity on these special occasions, on the 8th and the 15th days of the lunar calendar, to really set our hearts on training and practicing and developing. It goes against what's natural for the body, because the body does need rest. But this Tudanga practice, this ascetic practice, is that which is difficult to do. It's the practices of the Aryas, of noble beings, that which goes against and refines the kilesas. So we train ourselves in these, following in the steps of the great teachers like Venerable Mpucha, and what he learnt from his own teachers, from Mpu Man, Mpu Ginnari, and Mpu Tongrat. So we follow in their footsteps, training, practicing in this way. And even though they're very tough practices to do, um, and it goes against what's comfortable and what's natural for us, still we struggle. And in that effort that we put in, uh, we feel a sense of pride um, that we're able to do these practices, we're able to go against the grain in this way. And it really requires that effort, that sincerity to fight against sleepiness. But when we're able to do that, to go without sleep for an entire night, then we'll start gaining different thoughts than we had before. And if in the future we um, only get one or two hours of sleep, we'll think that that's enough because before we've gone out, we've gone without sleep entirely. So when I was at Nombapong, at Sumpuchar's monastery, um, it would be around the time of 2 a.m., 3 a.m. that it was very difficult. And then we'd start chanting at 3 uh, but the chants were translated into Thai as well, so it gone for a very long time. And when we got to the, the point of uh, chanting Buddha Susudo, uh, there was just great sleepiness that would come up um, and be chanting and sleeping at the same time. So that's what it was like at 
uh, Lumpur Chao's monastery. But if we pick up the pace of the chanting, it can help quite a lot, help to relieve drowsiness. So when we go without sleep for an entire night, then we'll get the feeling that one or two hours of sleep is enough. But if we're used to sleeping every single day, then we'll feel like five or six hours, it's not enough. We want even more than that. So the purpose of taking up these practices is to um, know a sense of proportion, a sense of what's enough, what's sufficient for us. And really five or six hours of sleep every day is enough. Because during that time that we're sleeping, um, there's no mindfulness there. The mind just goes off, um, spinning stories, dreaming, imagining about different things. So the time that we wake up, we use that for <laughs> regaining our awareness and our presence of mind. So sleeping little is the practice of monks training in these ascetic practices, which Lumpur uh, Ginnari and Lumpur Tongrat uh, taught and a practice that Lumpur Cha gained from one of his teachers, Lumpur Ginnari, was that of only having um, the evening drinks uh, once every 15 days in order to not get addicted to uh, the sweet flavors of them. Because if we have sweet things on a regular basis, uh, the mind gets uh, stuck to them, it becomes a habit. But it's important to go against these habits, and that's what Lumpucha did. It also has great benefit for one's health as well. We don't get diabetes or high blood pressure or lots of fat in our bodies. And so the health uh, that we have improves. And even though these illnesses that I just mentioned, uh, they're not contagious. They're still very severe illnesses. But if we have a sense of enoughness, then we use that uh, in all our activities, including the things that we eat. Um, we know and practice as we're eating. We see the danger in food as well and adjust uh, what we eat and how much we eat to what's appropriate for us. Um, and if we're eating too much, then we reduce the amount. And this can help to lower uh, our blood pressure as well, if we have high blood pressure. So for me, I used to weigh 72 kilograms, um, and my blood pressure was quite high. But when I reduced that just by 7 kilograms, uh, the blood pressure got to a normal amount, a good amount. So as we're eating, we use that as a practice as well. We meditate, have mindfulness while we're eating. And um, we also go against what's um, easy and comfortable uh, by exercising our bodies too. But we need to take care of not doing too much, not working excessively as well, because that can uh, have dangerous effects on the body. So at Ajahn Tong's uh, monastery, um, there was one layman who uh, was, uh, he, he would come to the monastery every now and then, live in the local village, 
and he had great efforts in his work. Uh, he would work really, really hard. And then he would come back home, have a shower, eat a little bit, and then go out to work again at the gas station. When he was sleepy, he would drink a cup of coffee to relieve that. And in the end, this um, overworking, it had terrible effects on his body. And one day, uh, he uh, became very dizzy suddenly and fell unconscious and his head uh, hit the ground. His mother walked by and uh, saw him lying there, but she also saw his spirit uh, leave his body and the Lord of Death uh, came to receive his spirit. So she uh, made a lot of merits, uh, did virtuous activities and uh, dedicated this to both her son and also to the Lord of Death as well, spread matter to the both of them. And it was possible that uh, she saw the Lord of Death uh, as a reminder that he was reminding her to dedicate uh, merits to her son and also to Indra and all of the devas and to his karmic debtors as well, those beings who he had harmed in the past. So when we do acts of goodness, then our hearts feel at ease and joyful. And this easeful and joyful heart is itself merit. Something that goes a step beyond making merit is kusala, this intelligence or skillfulness. And it's essentially having a knowledge which is up to speed with what we're experiencing so that we don't get uh, heedless uh, and we don't get lost in those things. So when the body dies, then the spirit or our minds, uh, they leave this body. Uh, but even though we hear of that quite a lot in Buddhist cultures, uh, that the spirit leaves and the Lord of Death will come to receive it, uh, in foreign cultures, uh, they don't have this, uh, same, these same ideas, these same beliefs. Um, and so having these beliefs, we then know that we should spread uh, merit and metta to the Lord of Death and to the Spirit, who is maybe going through a lot of suffering. Uh, but in other cultures, in Western societies, uh, like America, for instance, uh, they don't have uh, these beliefs. And Lumpur Blian, he once went to America and he said that he saw spirits all over the place, um, on the pavements, um, around houses. Uh, there were a lot of these spirits hanging around. And that was because no one had dedicated any merits to them. So they were stuck on that plane of existence. Um, they were still hungry. Having died, uh, they were just stuck where they were. They didn't have any intelligence, or their minds weren't clear enough to know what to do next. 
But for us in Buddhist cultures, uh, when someone dies, then their relatives go and make merit for them. They offer uh, robes in their names. And through this, they're able to change their level of existence. They're able to free themselves from the suffering of being a ghost through the skillful acts um, that people create and dedicate to them. So in the time of the Buddha, uh, King Bimbisara, uh, he would make merit, but he wouldn't uh, dedicate the goodness of those deeds to his relatives. So one day he heard a great cry that echoed throughout the entire city, a cry that was filled with sorrow. And he asked the Buddha what this was about. The Buddha responded that it was a relative of his that had been born as a hungry ghost. And he wanted to receive the merits, the goodness that the king had created, but he hadn't gotten any because the king hadn't dedicated them to him. So after this, the king did dedicate these merits. And this relative was able to get reborn, to change his existence, and became a very bright and beautiful spirit, or deva. So some people can do this. Um, oh, sorry, some people, uh, when they're born into this life as a human, they don't see the value of this existence. They see that it's a lot of suffering and they don't want to live as a human. They think that they'd be better off dead. It'd be a lot easier. They'd feel much more at ease and peaceful. Um, but they don't realize or they're not able to think that in dying, um, they'll just receive much more suffering, that the place they'll go to will be worse than where they're at right now. So there was once a woman who jumped off a bridge and died. And then she uh, was a spirit that was hanging around that bridge, experiencing much suffering. And her spirit was actually trapped by an even more powerful ghost uh, that was, uh, that's territory was around that bridge. So the spirit was trapped there wasn't able to get out. But she did have the enough merit uh, to be able to enter into the dream of a monk and ask for help. And so this monk chanted for her and dedicated merits to her. And through the power of that, she was able to free herself uh, from being trapped. So it showed that she did have merit that she was able to get out of this trap. But if she didn't create any merit in the past, then she would just be stuck there. She would just uh, be caught by this more powerful spirit, experiencing great suffering and great harm. So therefore, we should see that these lives of ours do have a lot of value to them. Um, and 
having gained a human birth, we use that, this opportunity, to practice and to train. I'm seeing that it really is a great opportunity. And some people are very fortunate that even from childhood, their mothers and fathers would help them, help them to um, develop the habits of creating merits, of doing skillful deeds. So our parents are really important in instilling these values in children. So at the Buddha's time, Anandapitika, the great uh, wealthy man, he had much wisdom and he was able to help out his children as well. His uh, son was very attached to just taking things easy, to just traveling around and chilling out. Every day, that's what he would do. And he wouldn't want to go into the monastery, didn't want to listen to any Dharma talks. Uh, but through his intelligence, Anandapindika saw that his son really liked money. So he offered uh, some money as a reward for him to go and listen to the Dhamma, to go into the monastery. But his child was also intelligent, and he figured that since he really didn't like listening to sermons, um, that when he uh, heard the sound of a Dhamma talk, he would feel stirred up and aggravated. So he sat a very far distance away from the Buddha, thinking that he wouldn't be able to hear what the Buddha said. But through the Buddha's amazing abilities, he could hear very clearly. Uh, his voice was bright and clear. And it shows the great Bharami of the Buddha that he was able to project his voice in such a way that was even better than the best and clearest speakers or sound systems that we have these days. So after listening to this Dhamma talk, uh, wisdom arose and his accumulated virtues uh, came into fruit. He was able to attain to the level of Sotapanna. Normally when he went home every day from the monastery, he would ask his parents for his reward. But on this day, he didn't want it. And why is that? Because he saw that what he gained uh, the Dhamma that he gained from the Buddha was far more, of far more value, of far more benefit than any material gains. And this shows the intelligence uh, that Anandapindika had uh, in raising his children. So for us, we need to find our own skillful means as well. And maybe it won't be using money. Perhaps we can coerce our children with technology, uh, whatever um, works in these modern times. We need to adjust our methods to the present moment. So sometimes the parents can really help their children, help them to understand. Um, but it's also the case that Sometimes the children help their parents. So there was one father of uh, one of my overseas uh, students who had the opinion that since the Buddha passed away, 
no one else has gained the same knowledge, has become enlightened like he was. He wanted to gain psychic powers, but he wasn't interested at all in freedom from suffering. So I recommended uh, for the student to tell her father that um, in order to gain psychic powers, he should contemplate and develop insight. Look into the body and see it as being something in constant stressful and not self. And through doing that, you'll gain psychic powers for sure. So this is what Limpur Ban recommended to one of his disciples who was a recluse. He really liked, this disciple really liked samadhi and wanted to develop jhanas. So Lumpur Ban taught him that if he wants that, then he should contemplate the body as being inconstant, stressful, and not self. And after that, his samadhi would get very deep and firm and he would be able to enter into jhanas. So this disciple did that. He developed this practice and he was able to get a very strong, firm samadhi. And then afterwards, he went back to his teacher and asked him how he should develop vipassana. And his teacher told him that what you've been doing, that is vipassana, and contemplating anicca, dukkha, anatta, that is the method of insight. So this is a skillful means that his teacher used to train him. So for all of us, we have um, the merit to receive these teachings and to rely on the Buddha. Because what the Buddha did in establishing this religion, in establishing these teachings, uh, required a huge amount of effort. He had to build up great amounts of Bharami in order to do that. It was like he turned the entire world into a fruit orchard. And anyone who is hungry just has to walk up to a tree, whether it's an apple tree, a durian tree, or a mangosteen tree, and they just pick one of the fruits and eat it. And that's all it takes. That's all the effort they have to put in is just to walk into the orchard and pick a fruit. But some people aren't interested in even doing this. Um, their efforts don't go that far because they're deluded by the entertainments um, of the world. They get amused by these bodies and taking things easy. But for all of us, um, we have more effort than that. We're able to come to the monastery, even though it's raining very heavily, we have that sincerity to offer food, to listen to the Dhamma, to create goodness and give rise to wisdom in our hearts, seeing the Dhamma, knowing the Dhamma. And through this, we then see into the nature of conventions. When I was younger, I also didn't have much interest in listening to Dhamma talks. I didn't really like them very much. And every day, uh, Tudong monks, forest monks, they would walk past my house on arms round. 
and this was about the age when I was 15 years old. Um, they would come past and they were very careful, very restrained. They weren't looking around, but rather had their gaze lowered. And their robes were a very dark color. Normally, when we see monks like this, uh, we have a lot of faith come up. We raise our hands in Anjali and express our, our devotion towards them. Um, but my thinking was different at that time. I saw these monks and I thought that um, our lives, um, we just lived our lives in very different ways. And I, in looking at them, I felt like I didn't want to become a monk. I didn't really have any interest um, in monasticism. I hadn't gone to a forest monastery before. It was about one and a half kilometers away from my house, but I'd never gone into the monastery. And I saw these monks walk past my house on arms around every day, but I never offered anything to them. But one day, however, faith arose, and I did start offering food. I started training in the Dhamma, and sitting meditation. And even though it was quite difficult, in the beginning, my mind slowly changed, and I saw the practice of meditation as being something very beneficial. After enduring with those initial difficulties, um, I gained a sense of contentment and joy in my heart. The mind became very still. Before I practiced meditation, I'd get very angry easily. I'd get annoyed and upset. Um, and even though I'm a very small person, my body's uh, quite little, I'd still feel like I wanted to pick some fights with people. And so maybe if I hadn't ordained with a monk, I may be dead by now because of the strength of that anger. But as I trained, I could slowly see that this anger, it's not self, it's not me, it's not mine. Before I'd taken everything, all of my emotions, whether it was anger or hate, um, being annoyed or jealous, I'd take all of this as being me. I was feeling this, these are my emotions. I saw things in this way. Even though the emotions had great strength, there was also old kama there, old kama causes and conditions, which eventually fruited uh, in the heart. And when my time came, then I did have the desire to listen to the Dhamma, uh, to train myself in this way, to gain um, an interest in this, in training the mind and giving up unwholesome tendencies. So we see that listening to the Dhamma is a very important practice. And because we're able through it to abandon the defilements and to develop our hearts, raise up the level of our minds until we can see the Dhamma clearly within ourselves. And this all happens through listening to these teachings of truth. So therefore all of us having gains these teachings, we should train following uh, them. Sacrifice the happiness that 
we have in worldly life in order to develop our minds, to develop goodness, to develop skillful actions, to do a lot of chanting. And we can chant so over and over again. In doing this, we gather up uh, the wealth that we need for our travels. Because these bodies, they don't last very long. Our life in this world is short. So we need to use the time that we have here to prepare, prepare for the traveling that we need to do. Uh, This traveling through samsara um, that we will take after this life. So therefore all of us should develop merits and develop skillful activities to the best of our abilities.